G'day everyone and welcome to another Bloody Movie Podcast. It's been a while, we're ba- but we're back. Quarantine is over, hopefully. Touch touch as much wood as you <laughs> possibly can yep. <laughs> in saying that. But cinemas are back open and, you know, movies are back for the time being. Yes. I am Sean Coates, joined by a very special guest, uh, filmmaker, uh, recent high school graduate and future, f- fil- f- future film student. It's just been confirmed. Very recently, and he's here to talk. He's here to talk about his new film, Aaron Bahamundes. Thank you very much for joining me. Hello, hello. Yes, I'm here. Yes, and he's actually in person. <laughs> actually, person, no yes. more Zoom. No more lockdown. <laughs> no God. more lockdown and touching wood again. <laughs> touching wood again. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so your film. Tell us about it. Yeah, Dirty Money Volume One. Um, just released it last Sunday. Had been working on it since January. Um, It was a little idea that came up with me and my brother after I made my last short film last year. And yeah, we've just been working on this year. We faced a pandemic, but we got through it and we were able to release it. Yeah, so now you said it's volume one. Yeah. Okay, and you were just saying a little bit just Mm -hmm. off air before before we hit record that it's... It wasn't originally meant to be split in two parts. Do you want to explain a bit more about that? Well, pretty much we started filming January. And we were going to shoot the whole thing. It was going to be the whole thing was going to be almost 40 minutes. Like you said, almost feature length, really ambitious for like my second proper time at making a short film. But I just wanted to like throw everything at the wall and just saw what stuck and just really go for it. And um, we were halfway shooting. um, So we pretty much shot the first half Um, around March. I want to say we got around and we started shooting two scenes from the second half and that was right and then COVID was like it was just like little like rumors and all that like it was just like just wear hand sanitizer and all that and then that's when they announced lockdown and we pretty much were like we can't shoot anymore we can't go to each other's house we can't we were like planning a city chase scene it's like that's scrapped and so yeah we pretty much just stopped and I was also faced with year 12 and year 12 is it would have been even worse this year I could imagine 100% it was it was a lot it was quite a bit and so then throughout lockdown, I would edit it here and there. People would ask, like, when's it coming out? And I'll be like, man, I really don't know when lockdown's going to be over. There was a little bit of hope during June when yes. everything opened up for like two weeks. And then we just closed back down and we we're like, I guess we can't do anything again. And then it hit around um, September and I did an update and I was like, Hopefully I can put it out by December or January. That's the hope. And then I actually re- I rewatched Kill Bill <laughs> Volume 1 and Volume 2 recently. Uh, and I remember just hearing like, and I saw an interview about with Quentin Tarantino and he talked about the reason why he split it in two halves. And that kind of just sparked the idea like, why don't I just do that with Dirty Money? Like, it won't be that bad. And I looked over the script, I looked at the footage and I was like, I could make the climactic enough to end it and like leave a little bit of suspense and on top of that as well, I had to do a final for my media sh- for my media class. And I really didn't know what to give in. And then I was like, I'll just give in dirty money. And I gave in the first half. And that's when I was like, and that's when I kind of realized this could work as like two halves. And then, yeah, I just pretty much started changing um, everything. The film started editing it, gave it a release date and yeah, and started hyping it up. And that's how we're here. Interested to hear how you um, uh, turn that in as a school project because there's quite a lot of swearing in the film. Yeah. What is, what is it? <laughs> it was quite hilarious um, <laughs> because at the start when they said, um, here are the guidelines for the finals. 
and <laughs> pretty much every dot point of the guidelines went against everything I did. Like one of them was you can't film someone driving and be in the car with them. And I'm like, yep, I did that. Yep. You can't um, depict any kind of drug usage or show drugs. And I'm like, I kind of did that. <laughs> and then it's like you can't show um, any kind of threat or violence against someone or you can't show guns. And I'm like, well, I have a prop gun. And then, um, but yeah, I pretty much like broke every <laughs> rule there, but they didn't really care. I just submitted it and they were just like, that was great. A plus. And I was like, what? Yeah. I think they might've just, because it's been a hard enough year. I yeah. They've just, just been like, well, let's just give the kid a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, mentioning Quentin Tarantino there, um, uh, is he one of the sort of influences on not only your filmmaking, but also on Dirty Money? Oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, honestly, like a lot of a lot of people would say Tarantino was my gateway into filming and being inspired. I saw a couple of his movies real at a really young age I shouldn't have. <laughs> and then um it was around when Hateful Eight come out, I really jumped on the hype for him and I started was like, Wow, this guy is really the big deal and then I saw Hateful Eight and I was like, Holy shit, this guy really like he I might just wanna do this. And that was right around the year when... When did Hateful come out? 2014? 15, I think. Because I remember... It, Hateful Eight was actually the first R18 plus film I saw in cinemas and I had just uh -huh. turned 18. So yeah. it would have came out in 2015, but then early 2016 yeah. here in Australia. It yeah. was also the first R18 film I saw in cinemas, but I was very... <laughs> I kind of just snuck in to do that. But yeah, 2014, well, that was the big year where I... that's That was the, like the defined year where I was like, I want to be a filmmaker. I remember it was three films. It was Nightcrawler. I saw that in cinemas and um, Interstellar. And I also saw Drive at home and I was like, okay, that's it. I, like, this is what I want to do pretty much. That's that's interesting because I think 2014 probably would have been the same for me as well. Mm -hmm. in the, yeah. I, those films, I don't think I saw those films until later. Like I definitely saw yeah. Drive probably around that time and I did see Interstellar in cinemas. But um, mm. I've talked about it. I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast, but seeing Predestination, for the yes, first time, that yes. was what... And seeing a film like that being made on what was a pretty low budget and also seeing it being shot in, in Australia, Australia yeah. and a film doing so much with a, a small budget, I'm like, I want to be in this industry mm -hmm. in some, some way, shape or form. Yeah, that really inspired... I guess what, I, like what Predestination did for you, that's what Good Time did for me. Because then in 2017, I saw Good Time for the first time and I was like, yo, the Safties, they, did th they started like by nothing man like they just hustled their way up and i was like why can't i do the same but just in australia yeah exactly um have you seen ple their first well their first film was it a pleasure um of being yeah robbed? pleasure of being robbed yeah i saw it in a movie a couple months ago that was really inspiring and um i saw that around yeah i saw that during covid during the lockdown and um i remember one of the stories behind that like so fascinating the reason why the film even exists is because the safties were hired to do a commercial for some company i can't even remember what it was but they pretty much gave them like a hundred grand to do the commercial and they're like yeah sure we'll do it and pretty much what they did they kind of went really stingy and they were like okay we'll shoot like this commercial for like 20k and we'll try it. and they were like really impressed and they got to keep the rest of the budget and then that's how they made that movie off of that budget 
So they kind of just hustled there, and I was like, damn, I, I can do this then. Like, mm. if they can do it, anybody can. Yeah, it's got, a, it's got a really sort of, like, tangible sort of scrappiness to it mm-hmm. that I kind of like. And it's yeah. kind of, I don't think they quite execute it like how they do in both Good Time or Uncut Gems, but they do that thing of, I guess, making a really, really despicably unlikable character incredibly compelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess, I don't, some people say it could be Mumblecore, I don't reckon. But it's kind of in that like scene, I guess it came yeah. out. But yeah, as you said, the scrappiness of it, I love that. And it's and you can really notice that it was just like them, probably a couple other guys and another people in the crew, and that's it. Yeah, but I really like that. Yeah, well, spe- staying on the Safties as well, I guess the score of the film is also very much o- mm-hmm. on EFX Point Never's sort yeah. of score to Good Time and yeah. to a lesser extent probably Uncut Gems. Um, mm-hmm. So how it, and it's incredible, by the way. Um, really? Oh, thanks, man. Really appreciate that. it. Um, what was the process of uh, getting that that done? It was um yeah. Tell us about it. Um, the score was actually an interesting interesting process because when we started um shooting, we didn't really know where to get music from, and every time I start writing a script, I create a playlist for the short film, and I'm like, okay, these are the songs that really inspire me. These are the songs that will fit the mood. But then obviously, and it's like, I always wish I could just get the copyright for those songs because I would love to put them in there. And like, I just feel like they'd be the perfect, like, so like needle drops, like the perfect ones. But obviously I can't. And I did that with Crime Running because Crime Running was made for a uh, film festival for JMC Academy. And I asked them, can I use copyrighted music? And they're like, yeah, sure, I'll do. And then I kind of just did that. I was like, oh, they let me. But then after I did that festival, I was like, I kind of restricted myself from submitting this to other festivals because other festivals are super strict about using copyrighted music. So I was like, damn, I kind of just wasted crime running for this one festival and now I can't really use it again. So then I kind of just told myself, okay, for the next one, all original music. I'm going to do it. I'm going to find someone that can at least do it. And then... um, and then I have two friends that were in the short film, Cooper Brights and Kai DeAngelis. Um, they're not music. Uh, well, Cooper makes like he makes hip hop beats and like samples like random stuff um, on like different like fruity loops and all those um, sound engines. And he was playing around with some sounds, and I was like, yeah, I really dig that. And then Kaya also made a couple of um, things on Ableton. And I was like, yeah, I really dig that. And then it was kind of, and it, it was unfortunate because they really did have really cool sounds. And some of those tracks are used in the film, like for the high scene and the conversation scene. Those are ones that they made. And I was like, but we really, it really, we needed another, an actual proper score. And then that's when my older brother came in. And he, um, he's used to making more low-key kind of music, more like softer, kind of 90s inspired. And I remember going over to his house and seeing his synthesizer. And I was like, what if we like use that? And he kind of like had played around with it before, but not really the way that I envisioned it. And so then he kind of sent me beats and pieces. And I was like, yeah, I feel like we could make it better. And then I just went over to his house and I pretty much, we just went over the all of the sounds, this synthesizer, this, it was like tiny, it's like this big. And it's like, we went over all the sounds, how it can, um, it can make. And yeah, that's where the score was born. And I was like, holy shit, like, this is perfect. Like, this is exactly what I want. It definitely captures this very, like, much like, I guess, Uncut, uncut Gems uh-huh. and, you know, the Safties work, like, Good Time. It's just this captures, like, this, this you know, electronic sort of synth, mm-hmm. like, yeah. beat. It's just, like, kind of constant. 
throughout yeah. the whole film and just like captures the frenetic just craziness that the film really is and just to build on that was the making of the film like the process of making this film <laughs> was it as crazy and frenetic as the film that we see um i'd say a hundred percent it was it was, <laughs> there was there's a couple things that we that went wrong that was just hilarious like w- like there's a scene in there like for all the low-key scenes like the opening scene um, I won't, I'll try not to spoil it in case like yeah. we can like watch, people can watch it. But for the opening scene, which was literally just me and my brother in a car, like stuff like that was just easy. Anything that we had to film in public, that was just like the wildest, like, <laughs> because I had a, I had an idea for the conversation scene. I wanted to originally shoot that in a cinema. I wanted to be like, okay, let, like in a yeah. cinema hallway, not actually in the cinema. Not like on the seats or anything. Yeah, like, no, yeah. like just in the hallway because there's this Hoyts that's kind of local to us at High Point and they had recently renovated it and they installed like this red lighting in the hallway. And I remember me and my brother went to watch a movie and we were, and we were like just standing there like, holy shit, this is like <laughs> super cool. Like we should shoot a scene here. And we were like, yeah, and we were like, got excited. I shot a, I actually shot a bit of test footage there on my phone. And I was just looking over and I'm like, this lighting is sick. And then pretty much um, we were like, okay, let's try to do it. But then we kind of just, after thinking, we're like, hey, this is like a private property. Maybe yeah. we should shoot here. And so I started, I asked around and like I emailed and the process was so long. Like Very laborious. Yeah, it's and per- very... permits are not cheap either. No, no. I started researching and I was like, wait, like, is it really this hard? <laughs> like, geez. And... And then kind of one day we went to watch a movie and we kind of, we were going to like do the sneaky way. Like, what if we just shot there? And we like tried it and we went to watch a movie and we were going to do it after. But then an employee came and they're like, hey, you can't shoot here. And the manager came and they're like, you can't shoot here, guys. And we were just like, uh, uh, (laughs) we kind of just took the easy way. We were trying and then we kind of figured it didn't. So then we kind of like, okay, where else can we shoot this scene? Because we didn't want to shoot, like, it's a conversation scene. I didn't want to shoot it anywhere mundane. I wanted to have, like, cool lighting, but also I don't have money to, like, buy, like, all this lighting and all that. So then we just decided, why don't we just do it in the shopping center? And then we kind of just did that. And it was, like, 11 o'clock at night, not much people. We shot a bit in the arcade there. They weren't. They were fine with us shooting there. We kind of just asked, like, hey, is it okay if we quickly... Do this, do this little recording. It's just me and my brother doing And they're like, yeah, sure, fine. And yeah, that went all fine. And yeah, after that, it, you'd get a lot of people looking. A lot. I never really expected it. I guess we were in the zone when we were shooting. Like I was really focused. But I'd catch these glances and a lot of people were just staring like, yeah. what are they doing? Exactly. <laughs> and I'm just, and I kind of would be like, what? like, this is such a weird experience. Like it was very like. Um, what sort of camera are you shooting on as well? I, I'd imagine it's a fairly, you know, not, yeah, not not one that's very compact. Yeah, it, no, it was that. It was um the Canon two hundred D, and oh, it's okay. apparently the smallest DSLR. I could be wrong, but I think it's one of the smallest ones. So apparently, like it's really convenient for like moving around and like shooting on the go. So that was all right. Um, but then there were the big story that <laughs> that I find hilarious is when in March we were shooting a scene for volume that is now volume two, and we're gonna reshoot it because everything's like different now people are wearing masks so we kind of have to reshoot it but originally we had finished shooting the first half and we're like okay let's go shoot the second half we went to melbourne central and i won't say anything about volume two but pretty much i just had to film my brother walking around 
doing random stuff and that's and that's pretty much it that was the scene and so then um i got an idea like i saw the escalators and i'm like hey let's shoot a bit here and he was like yeah he's down and then so he went down the escalators and he was like and i was like and i just had my camera set up on my tripod and i was like facing him and it was kind of it, it didn't capture anybody's faces it was just capturing like people like passing by so we weren't like breaking any laws or like capture like doing anything bad and so then i was just recording my brother going up the escalators and, <laughs> and i was like when i'm shooting i'm kind of like in the zone i kind of just like go in and i'm like i'm not paying attention to anything else but the camera and what's on the screen and then i kind of just hearing these murmurs behind my back like excuse me excuse me hello oh, hello no. and then i oh, saw no. it and then i felt the tap on my back and i was like oh what and i look back and it's like this middle-aged lady like really <laughs> she kind of looked like a character from jersey shore like oh. wearing that leather print and i was like what who that, is this that is that's actually scarier <laughs> than uh, if a security guard came oh, up and <laughs> 100%. if it was a security guard i would just be like oh yeah that's like good i'm so sorry but it, and I was just like, who is this lady? Why is she like talking to us? Like, I have no business. And she's like, excuse me, excuse me. What are you guys doing? And I'm like, oh, we're just shooting this little video. It's like kind of for a short film. Don't worry about it. We're not bothering. And they're like, no, 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 no. You recorded me. You recorded my face. And I was just terrified. I was like terrified. I'll, I've never been more scared in my life. I'm like, why is this lady confronting me? I'm just trying to do a short film. And then I'm just like, oh, I, I really, I, I, I was kind of just stuttering. I just really didn't. She's like, no, 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 you recorded me. Show me right now. And I was like, no, this is private property. You can't touch my camera. And um, then she got it really upset. And that's when my brother kind of noticed. And he just came back up and he's like, is there a problem here? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your little friend, he started recording me. And I was like, why is she acting like we were recording her? <laughs> like, we, we just said, I'm, we're shooting something with him. And then that's when... um she started getting really pissed off and she was like okay i want to see that camera now and then me and my brother kind of just looked at each other and we're like oh, okay i guess we can show it like and we kind of just showed like the clips a little bit and she was just staring at it and she was like no nah, i want you to delete all the footage right now and i'm like what do you mean she's like delete everything that's on that on that little camera of yours right now but and did I was she like, see herself though that's no she wasn't saying you could only hear her because <laughs> You're probably not even going to use the audio anyway. Like how did, I'm just still trying to figure out how she came up and then came back around. <laughs> yeah, I I think I've looked over the footage and you can kind of see her like passing by. Like you can only see from like her chest down, but like that's it. You really can't see her. You can't see her face or anything. And she just part and I yeah, she kind of just I was next to the escalators like right when that I don't know what to call it the the you know the escalators <laughs> like yeah. uh, that i was like right next to that and so she kind of came up and went around me but i didn't really notice and then when she started asking to delete the footage i was like no nah, i was because we showed her and i was like okay that's it i guess you can move on now you're not in it but when she started requesting to delete the footage that's when we kind of just like we just looked at each other and we kind of just like started walking off yeah. and that's when she started following oh, us geez. and so we were like what do we do like she's following us man she's like guys come back here come back here and i'm like what and then that's when we kind of um we kind of just started jogging off and she kind of jogged after us like for like a couple seconds oh my goodness and then she just yelled oh, i wish i remembered what she said but she yelled out the stupidest thing ever and she's like 
and she started like swearing and we we're like oh my oh. god this is like a scene that we can put I'm in calling my lawyer no she said like oh she said some she started saying something that she's been on the red carpet before and not us so maybe what? she could maybe she could have been like some b like actress that's been on television before and we don't know and then she's like you think she'd want the exposure wouldn't you yeah and then she yelled down she was like look at these like guys the big stars and then she started calling us the c she called us the c word like Fucking hell. she called us and i was like whoa and we kind of just walked off and she's like i've been on the red car before you haven't you big shots you're never gonna make it and she just walked off and everybody was just staring and, and we were like we were shell-shocked we were like what just happened this is the craziest thing ever but yeah that was a crazy little story that happened shooting the movie goodness yeah oh could you i can only imagine what would have happened like if not that you would have but if like if it was like under like covid sort of conditions oh what would have even happened i can't even imagine this was like two weeks before a week before lockdown kicked in but yeah um yeah, you'll find a Karen anywhere, oh man. God. Anywhere, man. <laughs> Melbourne Central's the place to find Karens. Good God. Good God. Should she pull out the bloody human rights declaration from 1948 I while sh- she was at it, though? <laughs> I don't know, man. I was just terrified. I, it was one of those experiences where I just, like... And I guess that was kind of a lesson of, like, the things you'll face when shooting. You will face people... I don't know if it's, like, an ego thing or they're just jealous... I don't even know what it is. I'm just like some like some teenager, man. That's just trying to make a short film in the city. Like, what's your problem? But yeah, it's I crazy. Don't get it. I don't get it. Crazy, insane. Yes, but where, and where can people watch it? Like, so it's on YouTube right mm-hmm. now. Where yeah. should they search for it? So if you literally just go on YouTube, and um, unfortunately, I'm very upset. Netflix made a. Do- a little like mini series documentary called Dirty, Dirty Money, Money right. in 2018 and I didn't know about this until I called the film Dirty Money I'd already announced it oh. and then I saw on Netflix I'm like Dirty what and I was like so pissed off I'm like who no <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> luckily um after I turned it into volume one and volume two that kind of gave it a more easier specific to, easier so, to distinguish yeah. yeah so if you go on YouTube and you literally search up Dirty Money Vol 1 it's Either the trailer or the short film will be the first one to come up. Yeah, and then you'll see all the stuff for the Netflix things come up. Um, yeah, and then you'll see right all the Netflix stuff. And uh, like a, re- a really random one, apparently Nicki Minaj did a freestyle like in 2013 called Dirty Money. So that'll oh, come shit. up as well in some random stuff. But yeah, so that's, I guess, yeah, just search up Dirty Money Vol 1 on YouTube. Yeah, go check it out, guys. It's really good. I enjoyed. I had a hell of a time watching it, and I'm um, excited. And as as you said, you want to leave it on a cliffhanger, and you certainly yeah. do with a part one. Yeah. I'm excited to see what part two brings, uh, and hopefully you don't right. face any more Karens this time. When you I film am those. hoping <laughs> there's a big scene we have to shoot in the city, and I'm very scared that we're gonna face someone, but we just got to push through. Yeah, well, best of luck to you for that. But oh, not only do you enjoy making films, you enjoy watching. A hundred percent. Yes. It's like, yeah, yes. and you said like you know, like you know, the p- people like Tarantino and the Safdies have been like sort of big influences. Mm-hmm. Like, what other films do you sort of like really gravitate towards you and sort of, I guess, really inspire you? Well, during lockdown, I guess I watched a few things. I could have watched more, but I did watch a few things. Um, recently, I've been trying to departure from just casual viewing. I really want to get into the nitty gritty, like cinema, like really. Um, get into the history of it 
And um, through Twitter, I found out about John Cassavetes. And, oh, man, I've watched only two of his films, but I'm already in love with the guy. That's the exact type of films I want to make. Right, see, uh, this this would be a better discussion if I had seen any <laughs> John Cassavetes films. <laughs> yeah. I unfortunately have not, but um, my local video rental place, uh, shout out to Picture Search in Richmond, uh, they have an incredible collection there. Oh, really? And they have the um, five films Cassavetes box set available to really? rent for like $10 a week. And I am very, I've been eyeing it um, off for the last few Is it the DVD or Blu-ray? It's the DVD because I think oh, it's one of the, okay. I think it's like it's one of the early, movie. early yeah, criterions yeah. that they had. But like I've been eyeing that off because my only real exposure to Cassavetes is well one his son from Face Off <laughs> Nick Cassavetes and director <laughs> yeah. of The Notebook um, but also um, Mikey and Nicky which he's yes. an actor oh, in, which I, yes. I, I watched that during lockdown and absolutely oh, loved it that became that's a I get that was the first Cassavetes film I saw Mikey and Nicky someone recommended it to me and I watched it yeah. I was completely floored by it um, should clarify as well. It, it's a directed by Elaine May. Elaine May, yes. She's and very talented. Peter Falk yeah. acted uh-huh. know, as yeah. two leads. Yeah, yes. that's a movie that completely floored me. Um, it, I, I watched it and I was like, that's like top three of all time. I reckon <laughs> that's straight. That's a one for the records. And then I kind of I rewatched like uh, I rewatched it again recently, and um, it's what I I guess that that also kind of pushed me on how to make it's okay to have flaws when shooting because when I, when I make it, because right now, like in the state I am and like the equipment that I have, I don't, I can't make a clean looking film. I can't make a film that's properly shot. I can't make a film that's has good sound, not the best sound quality and all that. And then I saw Mikey and Nikki and they kind of really made that like, even though like it's flawed by design, they had a lot of troubles making that film. Like apparently they had to take, steal some of the film reels from the studio. And some people actually saw Elaine May walking around Hollywood um, Boulevard with like film reels, like under her arms. And she was literally like trying to like, she had to like steal the film reels from the studio, take it and try to edit it. And so that really kind of pushed me like, Hey, I can like, like same, like, as I said before, anybody can do this, man. Anybody can make a short film it doesn't matter. You're always going to have flaws and that's always going to happen. So you kind of just got to embrace it and you just got to be like, make those flaws kind of your, kind of your strength. And yeah, that's what that movie really taught me as well. Definitely. Um, uh, And how happy are you now that everything is finally open now? Oh, and so cinemas happy. are back. Um, yes. What was what was the last si- before the lockdown happened? What was the last film you saw in cinemas? The last film I saw was The Invisible Man. Oh, that's a good yeah. good last one. Yeah, I, I don't think good. I've discussed it on the on the on the podcast, but Eric and I uh, won tickets to a preview screening of that, mm-hmm, so we yeah. got to see it not at the Melbourne premiere where it was sort of an unfinished version where yeah, Lee Wynell came. Yeah, heard about that. Yeah. Um. Uh. But I didn't get to go to that one. But like this was for one like I think maybe a week or two before its release, and mm-hmm. really really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I'm. Of the two sorts of uh, horror trends that are happening right now, mm-hmm. the sort of elevated horror sort of trend, and then there's the Blumhouse sort of horror. Yeah, yeah. I'm more leaning towards the Blumhouse sort of horror. Yeah, I'm kind of in between. I really like both what they're making. Like, Blumhouse will make um, some great movies, and then they will make some stinkers like <laughs> Fantasy <laughs> Island. It's like, what? I don't even mm. want to bother like checking that out. Yeah. But same then, with yeah. An- that's Antebellum for me. Like I I, oh, I, I saw Fantasy yeah. Island. I saw Fantasy Island yeah. and I had a good time because it's 
a piece of crap, but um, because it's just kind of really fun, bad. But um, Antebellum, like I th- believe that's Blumhouse, but oh, I kind of. It, yeah, I've just heard so much <laughs> terrible things about. I started. I I remember like scrolling through Twitter when it first came out, and I remember hearing about this twist in the movie, and I was like, "What's this twist?" And I was really curious, and people were trashing on the movie, and I was like, "Okay, I don't. I can't be bothered watching this, so I'm just gonna read up on the twist." So I went on one of those um, websites, and I read the twist, and I was like. Okay, I get why this okay. movie's getting dunked on. Because what is that? That's horrible. I no, s- I still <laughs> don't know about that. I might have to just to um, read into it. It's it's a big yikes. <laughs> it's definitely a big like what? Uh, okay, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. But uh, yeah. And what was your first film back? It was the one and only Tenant. Tenet. Of course, the one and only. Um, I've seen it three times now. Wow. Um, really big fan. I saw it at IMAX Melbourne second viewing. I feel like that's the only way you can watch the movie. Fifteen seventy millimeter. That's really the only way. So I have only seen Tenet the one time. Uh-huh. Um. Uh. And you actually, you you saw it in the second in the session right after me. Actually. Yeah, I did. Well, yeah, I bumped IMAX. into you. Bumped that was pretty funny. On the way out. I don't know. Tenet is a. I have a weird thing with Christopher Nolan. Like yeah. I don't. I don't dislike any of his films, but I kind of see a lot of his films as I've described this before. Mm-hmm. Um, as smart movies for dumb people. Yeah. In that they're in there. There's there's a lot of cleverness going on to them, mm-hmm. but they're just dumb. I wouldn't say dumbed down, but just overexplained a yeah, lot. Yeah, I like, guess. Yeah. With a lot of them. He is a big fan of exposition. Exposition, Like, that's his thing, I and guess. so the first hour of Tenet for <laughs> me was so goddamn frustrating <laughs> because uh, it's just, it's a lot. It, and it wasn't frustrating for me. It was just really like, whoa, okay. I, I, you, it's weird because, like, the science aspect didn't actually, like, I wasn't actually like, okay, that's pretty understandable. It was just like how the first half an hour of that is really, like, Okay, we're in this place now, boom, cut. We're in, like, Mumbai now, boom. We're in London now. And it's like, whoa, it's, like, really overwhelming how globetrotting it is. But, yeah, I, you kind of... And the second viewing, I was like, okay, I kind of get, like, the gist of it now. And by the third viewing, I was like, okay, this is pretty much, like, a perfect movie for me. Yeah, wow, okay. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see how I'll feel about it on a rewatch because I remember mm-hmm. uh, being so, yeah, I guess frustrated. Yeah. Not normally the ways that you would be frustrated. I guess it's just yeah. because the movie is explaining so much without actually explaining anything. Like the science aspect of it or more so? I'm not exactly sure of what the benefits of inverting things are. I still haven't figured that out. I've talked about this the whole... Because the whole point of the movie is that everything is predestined. It's already Mm. happened. So that's kind of like their whole goal. So like that's why they don't want to know anything about the future because they'll kind of ruin it for themselves Mm. because it's already happened. It's... Yeah, you can, yeah, <laughs> it's a big movie, yeah. yeah. but when the movie becomes, like, in the last, like, maybe in the second half, like, as yeah. soon as they go through the turnstile uh-huh, and it uh-huh. just becomes an action movie, it that's rules. when I really get that, on board. <laughs> the movie, um, the highway chase scene, that is some of, that is just action cinema at its finest. Um, I kind of mentioned this, but it's so insane... I don't know if it's lockdown that's kind of just made me love things more and more, me more appreciative of like going to the cinema. But I guess being taken away the cinema experience for, I'd say, a good nine months, I was nine months maybe. And then coming back to Tenant, like 
and hear it and it was like so loud it was just i i feel like it, it i kind of just like oh my god like this is what it feels like and i yeah. guess i just have that special bias attached to it and i kind of just can't remove and be i can't like i can just look past the floors and be like yeah this is uh this is yeah. this is an experience yeah having that imax the quote earth shattering sound that imax <laughs> has like paired with christopher nolan who him and his sound guys uh feel the need to put as much reverberation as possible on every, every single point of impact <laughs> i just love that it's just like whoa it's like what is so, the, someone what gets, is this someone gets punched it like echoes for a good five <laughs> yeah. seconds a lot of uh, did you fa- did you have any problems with the sound mixing? It was a bit difficult to hear, but it was a bit difficult yeah. to properly hear what was going on and like what, especially when it's like it's it's kind of the Interstellar thing. But it, yeah, it, it, with Interstellar, it was yeah. more the score I find than I guess the. I remember when else. people were trashing the Interstellar score, and I was like, "Are you serious? Like this is some of the greatest." Like I was in love with that. With Hans Zimmer's score, like the organ, that was crazy. I don't think it's a score necessarily. I think it's just the mixing of the score. Yeah, how, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. no, nah, because I remember I was thinking, I wasn't, I was thinking, like after I walked out from Tenant the first time, I'm like, did people really have a problem with sound mixing? Because that sounded perfectly fine to me. Like, yeah, of course, like there was a lot of reverb and like a lot of like sounds going on when people were talking, but I yeah. kind of just understood the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like as soon as the Travis Scott song comes on <laughs> at the end, there's, like, you the think plan. there's an earthquake going <laughs> you on. You just hear his cooing all over. Ooh, it's the best. It's the greatest. Uh, uh, but talking about a film with a questionable sound design to one with some incredible sound design, mm-hmm. um, one that you can watch both in cinemas, depending on where you are, but mm-hmm. also on Amazon prime. Uh, the Sound of Metal. Yes, Sound of Metal. Uh, this is my favourite film of the year so far. There's still a couple that come out. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, I still haven't seen Nomadland. That comes out in a couple yes, of days. Yes, I want to watch I that. I still haven't watched any of the Small Axe films. There's mm-hmm. still a lot oh, to come out so, yet. Oh, I want to watch Small Axe so bad. I don't know. How can you... It's only on Foxtel, isn't it? It's on Foxtel. There, oh. there may or may not be some other ways that you can watch it. But uh, yeah, if you no. don't want to give money to Rupert Murdoch, there no. may be other ways that you <laughs> I can. I no way. Like, yeah, I'm just pretty much... Isn't it... Wasn't it on Amazon or is that just America? America, it's oh, on Amazon. Okay. And in the UK, it's BBC. That's so annoying. It that's is. such that's such a weird distribution. What is with the distribution there? I don't know. Maybe, maybe there was a bidding war for it or something. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, back to Sound of Metal, it, as you said, it was your favorite. It would be my favorite if it went for Uncut Gems. Okay. That's, it would be my favorite of the year if it went for that. Yeah. Interesting. Um, just with the way I work, I actually count Uncut Gems as 2019. See, so I would count it as 2019, but since it didn't come out 2019 and I made like my list, like, and I kind of, I don't touch my list or change it. And I was like, but Uncut Gems is like, mm. one of, it's for like everything. So I kind of was like, yeah, I'll count it as 2020. It came I, out January. I normally wait until after the Oscars to, the, uh, for, like, okay. say, if, especially if they're yeah. like, you know, award season contenders. Yeah. I'll normally wait. So that's why, like, I counted. Yeah. And it was like early enough. It was like the end of January. Yeah. I'm kind of person like, it hits the 1st of Jan. Okay, done. Go on okay. to the new year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fair enough. But yeah, Sound of Metal, um, for people that don't know, this is a film where Riz Ahmed and uh, Olivia Cook there, um, two like heavy metal musicians, mm-hmm. Riz Ahmed is the drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think the, the, na- the band's name, I believe, is Black Gammon. Um, uh, he finds he's starting to go deaf. Yeah. And the film is about him coming to terms with this and then uh, going to a deaf community to basically gain a new lease on life. Yeah. And 
I, I don't really, I honestly don't know what I was expecting from this film. I guess I was thinking, uh, not to the thing of like, I guess, whiplash, but I just, I was surprised by how much was, act like, I didn't see any trailers. Yeah. I just went into this, hearing the buzz that came out of the Toronto Film Festival Tiff, last yeah. year. And just, I think maybe even London Film Festival as well, where it played. And just being wanting to see this, and every everyone talking about Riz Ahmed's performance, and it just yes. it exceed it, uh, like it met my expectations, and then also exceeded them. Uh it was. I get that's really what you want from a cinema experience. Um, Sound of Metal, it's weird because it has the loudest scenes and it has the quietest scenes in any movie I think I've seen this year. The opening is insane. Those first three minutes is just the most hectic just frantic and energetic. It's just literally a burst of energy into you. And then some of the feel, it's so, it, it, I think what I didn't expect is how meditative it is and how kind of, um, it's mostly just like having to accept this disability for him. Absolutely. Like I, the way I kind of saw this film in that, how it sort of follows the stages of grief, mm-hmm. I think in terms of Ruben, yeah. who is Riz Ahmed's character and like his journey, Mm-hmm. especially and like you can you can point to all of them like for the first one denial yeah. like it starts off with him like mm-hmm. saying i'm fine i can still yeah. like there's that incredible edit or that incredible moment where like he's he, like the doctor tells him to eliminate all loud yeah. noise and as it possible just cuts back immediately to cuts to him yeah. performing it's like oh shit like it it's nerve-wracking honestly at that point that was the point where i was like completely on point with the movie i was like i already wasn't but that it's like it's kind of like a shock, and you kind of just get ready get that internal tension of like, oh my god, he's destroying more of his hearing. Like he has to like keep it. What is he doing? Yeah. And then like if you to, to go further into the other ones, and then it goes into anger, and then mm-hmm. it's him, you know, destroying. Yeah. It's it's a it's an extension of denial, and then it's like you know like trashing his trailer, like you know feeling you know ang- angry mm-hmm. that um, Olivia Cook is like le- like leaving him. Well, not leaving yeah. him, but like he allowing has to him leave, to. Yeah do that and then like there's bargaining like he hears about like this implant to help him get his hearing back and then the other i won't go into the other two because then that you know kind of gets Mm. into more of the of the film but it's not only just riz ahmed who my goodness just neat he's been he's been around for a while now like um 10 years like four lions was kind of his big breakout role that was 10 years ago now and he's been sort of steadily like i think it was that was like his sort of thing i think nightcrawler was like another big yeah i was about to say the night of on hbo Uh as well was another really big one but now i think he's finally starting to he's putting his foot in the door as Mm. as the big like we should watch out for him yeah also yeah and uh, like his dedication to the role like learning like he's already very musically proficient as well like listen to a lot of his like rap as his stage name yeah he has really good music i heard it i heard it right after the movie finished i was like looking and i found out he was a rapper and i was like holy shit like and i checked out and he has he's really good he's Super talented guy. Super yeah, talented. and then yeah, spent six months tr- learning to learning play the drums for the, for this film, and then also learning ASL as yeah. well. Now, um, I think it's a very important film that I kind of that I I was kind of like thinking about on the train back home after I watched it. It's an incredible. I learned a lot. I didn't. There was because you when you um well before I thought it's like you can It was just sign language. That was just like the big thing for like of. Th- for that's like the thing that deaf people need to like um learn but then the film it's just so much more informative it kind of like shows you the, like the process and it's it's painful to watch and it's so tragic 
to watch. And um, yeah, I thought it was. Re- I th- it's a really important film. I think a lot of people should watch it. They'll learn a lot. Yeah, definitely. And it's especially great to see a film like this that you know presents a community and mm-hmm. I guess a minority of people that you don't ever really see on film as yeah. well, and giving yeah. them giving them a voice, I mm-hmm. guess. And yeah, like and the. Uh, and there's a lot of the extras in the film. A lot of the people in the deaf community yeah. actually are deaf. So mm-hmm. it, that just builds on the importance of like, I guess, Riz Ahmed yeah. in terms to like fully immerse himself and like mm-hmm. learn, learn sign language. But then we also got to give another shout out. And I think this guy, um, Paul Racy or Rachi, yes. the guy who plays the leader of the community, yes, who he. is not, he, he himself is not deaf, but he's mm. like uh, one of the US's like, foremost like interpreters of mm. american sign language yeah and yeah i think he, he also is like much like his character i believe he's also like a vietnam veteran as well yeah and yeah he's incredible there's a scene with him i won't say anything about it but wow that was a scene where i was just in tears i was like that is oh that was a lot it was a lot yeah this i mean we're just going on about this film now <laughs> because it's just it's just too good. It's just too good. I guess... Oh, I, I just remembered now another film I saw post-lockdown, Possessor. Possessor Uncut, I guess. Um, wow. That's a movie right there. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I, I did like Possessor as well. Um, not not quite... Weirdly, not to the extent that everyone else is. Oh, okay. I'm, not quite sure, I'm not quite sure why, but... Did you, just, you did you see it recently? Like how long ago? I saw it like when it uh, not at any of the Monster Fest screenings because yeah. it didn't it didn't play at Monster yeah, Fest. Yeah. But I did see it. I didn't watch because I'm I'm a good noodle. I don't pirate films. Um, <laughs> I waited till it came out in its cinematic releases and uh-huh. um, yeah, I saw it in one of those and I don't know, just liked it a lot, but just didn't Wasn't didn't big. quite get to the to the loving it stage. I'm, I'm not quite sure what it was like because mm. it's got it's got everything I kind of like in the movies yeah. there, but like. I guess maybe just because it maybe it was talked up a lot, I was just slightly underwhelmed. I'm not sure. Mate, yeah, but this her it premiered at Sundance. I want to say this year. It did because yeah? some of my colleagues at Movie Babble saw it at Sundance. Oh, okay. And yeah. I don't know which cut of the film they saw. I think they saw the one. They probably saw the earlier. Saw, yeah, yeah. the uncut's the one that's getting. I don't know. It's such yeah. a weird thing, like to do six minutes of new footage. I don't know. It's kind of weird, but yeah, I absolutely love love that movie. The genre blending in that, that's insane. Like how it kind of just, it was very, like the way I saw it, it was very initiative. The way it was like mixing a thriller, horror, crime. And it was kind of just like checking all the boxes for me. But yeah, I really love that. I do think the movie has very good world building though. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And I'm not saying that I'd want a sequel, but I would like to maybe like in some other mm-hmm. form, like kind of see like an expansion of this world. Yeah, the agency way. that they kind of set up is a really cool and the device that they use and what they do with it is like a really cool idea. Really cool idea. It kind of, it, it's... I don't know. <laughs> this is maybe it was just because I saw the movies so close to each other, but like Tenant and Possessor, kind of that same thing in agency, having this really weird device that they use in a really weird way. I don't know, but I guess I saw the to, manip- just to manipulate the to manipulate, to manipulate in some yeah, way, yeah, yeah. Um, and you could say that their their process is kind of unorthodox, kind of taking away the will from people. Um, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting seeing those movies back to back kind of soon, but yeah. I would also just like to say that we need to protect Christopher Abbott at all costs. Oh my God. This, I want to work with amazing. him. I, my, one of my, I think one of my dreams, he's the actor I want to work with one day, hopefully, hopefully. 
yeah, yeah. He, 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 look, he seems like someone that is about, like, for the last couple of years, he's that guy that's about to, like, burst, like, and just <laughs> about to become massive, but I hope he doesn't. Yeah. Like, I don't want to oh, see him yeah. in, like, a Marvel film or something like that yeah. and see him, you know... Not not to use the word sellout, but like he's doing so many interesting projects I remember at the moment. Like if he could do like a Pattinson sort of thing, where like yeah, he could do both. like balance that. No, I remember uh, a, a mutual. A set, they said something that was like, "You want to see him be the big Hollywood star he deserves to be, but you still want to see him in those weird indie films." Yeah, because I feel like that's where he thrives for sure. Um, have you seen James White? No, no, yeah. I have oh, not. You have to watch James White. That if you if you weren't already sold on him, James White will completely just be like, yeah, he's well. well pi- piercing was what sold me on him. Ah, oh, piercing is so great. Piercing is so great. But to kind of jump back to James White, not to try to spoil it, but I feel like that was a really big showcase of the acting potential he, he has, and the stuff that he can do. Just like the really little details on his face, but. I think the first film I saw him was in Cubs at Night. I think that was the first one I that saw. That probably would have been for me too, because yeah, James White was a little bit earlier, and that was yeah. kind of like his calling card film, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 2015, I think. Yeah. Oh, uh, I missed that one, but uh, I've got a few other films that uh, unfortunately you have not seen, <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. uh, some of these films aren't actually out yet, and uh, mm. I got to talk about these ones very briefly. So. Um, with cinemas coming back, also movies coming back, but also a preview and press showings are also back. So mm-hmm. I've been able to attend a couple of them for films that either are out now or are about to come out. Uh, one of them isn't really a film. And watching... The, the, so this is a thing called um, A Night at the Louvre, Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, it's, oh, one okay. of those, it's one of those gallery on screen sort of exhibitions, which... Oh. Uh, it, it made me wonder while watching this is like with cinemas struggling, is this, is this like sort of like a uh, alternate sort of cinema programming? Is this a way that cinemas can still sort of function? That's interesting. So how's the film? Like, is it? Well, in essence, it's just, it's kind of just a regular documentary, but in yeah. the, the, how it really is, it's just like, it's a sort of a private guided tour of, of the Louvre. Uh, okay. Not, of basically just the Leonardo da Vinci exhibit they had, which ran from, I believe, like September last year and actually finished uh, just before COVID actually hit in like February, I believe, this year. So it's pretty much just, uh, it goes through, like throughout the entire, not not the entire exhibit, but most of the big sort of, uh, the the big sort of landmark pieces and artworks. And, you know, you've got the, it's an interesting thing that they do in terms of filming it because you're able to get uh, see the artwork from a bunch of different angles and get up cl- much closer to it than mm. you would ever ever yeah. get and you've also got the two experts there like i think the 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 exhibit exhibit curators there talking about like i guess the history behind the pieces mm-hmm. and also the interpretations of like their own interpretations like their expert interpretations which would be good, like, but sometimes, like, especially in this sort of thing, and like, if you expect like a gallery on screen, instead of just being like, you know, a glory glorified slideshow presentation yeah. or like a montage, which is kind of what I was ho- expect, not hoping, but expecting it was yeah. gonna be. Yeah. But like, I'm glad that it wasn't, and it had more of a, I guess, more of m- much more of a cinematic sort of styling to it, and like, oh, it was, really I was cool. shot more of a documentary, and it's all like. And they also show this very interesting. I have to flip through my notebooks because it's been yeah. quite a while since I've seen this. But they have this um, 
there's this protest co- pro- protest there's this process called reflectography mm-hmm. which is where i guess they i can't remember exactly what happens but they show the paint like the artworks in a new light so they'll grab a couple of the artworks from da vinci put it under this light or like through this process mm-hmm. and you can actually see like the changes that he's made yeah i actually learned a bit of that in photography this year yeah the different lighting and all that yeah, yeah. so that was fascinating um, uh, only real like gripes I'd have with this film is that if you could call it a film, I mean, yeah, wh- wh- what even is film these yeah, days? What even is it now? Yeah, it's, it's, what is small acts is uh, yeah, like th- there's all that <laughs> discussion. We've got that going on, um, but it's it's really bizarre with this film because like with all these artworks and like a lot of the stories behind the artworks and the interpretations behind the artworks, because some of these are just like these huge pieces Mm -hmm. with so much going on in like every tiny little like square inch is its own story in like all of these paintings. But a lot of the times they'll, it doesn't really, while it gives you time to like, it gives you a fair amount of time to certainly soak up like all of the artworks and like, you know, really do that. Uh, all of the stories and their own interpretations kind of detract from you instead of like, oh, you you reflect on this piece, look at it and reflect on it. Mm. It's just like, it's telling you what to think. Ah, okay. And, so, yeah. It takes away the subjectivity from art, yeah. A li- not, 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 uh, not entirely, yeah. but like it, it's, other interpretations are good, but it kind of comes across as like, this is what it is. Yeah. Instead of that. And it also doesn't help because um, it's no, no fault to them, but also the narration and the two curators obviously being in the Louvre in Paris, yeah. they are French. Yeah. So I uh, guess subtitles. so. The subtitles you're yeah. trying to read the subtitles and, <laughs> and then also look, look at, at the, the artworks yeah. at the same time, which is a bit distracting. But I don't know. But this is look. It's gonna be uh, European mm. vacations are probably off the table for a indefinitely while. for now, and yeah. this is probably your best chance to look at the to look inside the Louvre for yeah. God knows how long. And mm-hmm. this the Da Vinci um, exhibit as well is no longer showing, so this is yes, yeah, chance, yeah, yeah. So it's and it's a very you know a, a, an interesting ninety-five-ish minutes out at the movie. Is there um, an original score to it? I believe there was, yeah. Oh, okay. And the, the, the music does accompany the artworks quite uh, well. Oh yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I believe that's screening now at a certain cinemas. So it's A Night at the Louvre, Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, I guess check your local cinema listings. Uh, I think it's getting like very special screenings, probably weekends only. Um, uh, and because it's a special sort of event screening, uh, they're probably going to be at a premium price, but I, I think it's worth it. That's interesting, yeah. Really interesting, never heard mm. of it. And uh, have you ever been to a gallery on screen or seen like a live theatre production in a cinema or like a film theatre production? Uh, I've seen like I've seen musicals and been to theatres, but yeah, nothing like how you described that was really... I've been to art, gal- I've been to art galleries, but um, never to a... To a that, that sounded like, yeah, that was a really, that sounds really weird. It sounds like an interesting experience. It definitely was. Um, but then moving on to a more conventional film, um, I'm not quite sure uh, people outside of Victoria, but this is a Cinema Nova exclusive movie. Uh, this is one that I really, really desperately tried to see at uh, Melbourne International Film Festival last year, but all this, but the sessions sold out uh, pretty quickly because it just gained really, really great word of mouth. I think it even uh, finished in the top 10 of the audience award as well. Uh, it's a film called End of the Century. I haven't heard of it. Uh, so it's uh, an LGBT sort of romance film. Uh, it's about, uh, I'm going to have to get the names of him. It's about a guy named Ocho who arrives in Barcelona for a vacation. Uh, he's, I believe he's from Spain originally, but he lives in New York and he's a writer. And he meets a man named Javi, 
mm-hmm. who comes across, um, who's who li- who lives in Berlin. He's like a children's TV show producer. They sort of hit it off. They have like this nice sort of. Um, they have some like wine and cheese on like a balcony on a balmy night in Barcelona, mm-hmm. and, and like talking about life and love and like all that sort of good stuff. And then they find out they have actually met twenty oh. years beforehand. Okay, and it's this really. It's this really, really interesting sort of portrait of, I guess, sort of the evolution of relationships and romance that, and it's just so, so sweet and really tender. And I really was not expecting that. Oh, that sounds really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's also, maybe it's just because they have like, and I was also just a sucker for films that play around with time. Like I talked about Predestination. Mm -hmm. Like this doesn't, this does it in a much more sort of grounded way but also yeah, in a way that because I didn't really know what this movie was going into it I mm. just knew that it was like sort of this gay romance that had some sort of element of time manipulation yeah. in its presentation not necessarily in the story but yeah. in its reputation and while watching it I was really confused because it does jump back uh, 20 years in mm-hmm. in the past so it's like I believe it's yeah the past is like set in like 1990 or 2000 Mm -hmm. i think it's actually 1999 or 98 because like he's doing this big thing to where the title of the film comes from is at the end of the the century century, i think he's yeah what he's doing he's making like a documentary short film that's basically a summation of the last of the 20th century basically and then yeah it's just such as i've not really got much more to say about this film other than it was just a really really sweet romance but the way that it plays around with time, me not knowing what this film was going into it, and especially like how the characters interact with each other as if they already know each other, mm-hmm. it made me feel like, is this, what is, uh, do they, like, it, it had me confused whether they actually knew each other or if this was like some sort of like certified copy esque sort of game that they yeah. were playing on each other. Yeah. Like it was, it was very confusing. It does elaborate more on that as the film progresses mm-hmm. and then I guess kind of, uh, obscures a little bit towards the end but yeah. this was just a really really fascinating very very sweet film that i would definitely implore people to go check out it's called end of the century melbourne listeners uh playing at the cinema nova exclusively from boxing day so go check that out interesting yeah definitely want to check that out and the last film that i've got to briefly talk about here um this has been a really this is trying to bring structure somewhat back to this <laughs> yeah. episode but um uh my salinger year which is a film that i watched just this morning um it actually opened the berlin Isle this year mm-hmm. and i can kind of see why it's a it's not a very um uh, from what i know from the berlin Isle, it's very very heavy sort of you know dramas and like very mm-hmm. sort of weird genre stuff every now yeah. and then um, but, uh, this one was just a very much, and it's, it's being distributed by Palace Films, mm-hmm. which kind of tells you everything you need to know. It's the film you can take your Nana to, basically. <laughs> um, so it, it opened the Berlin Isle this year. It's based on, it's based on the memoirs of the same name by, uh, um, what's the character's name? Uh, the, the, the person's name. Uh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong page of my notes. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Um, oh God, I still can't find her name. Uh, Joanna, May- uh, Oh, fuck. I don't even remember her is name. Is it JD's Slaninger? Oh, yeah, so this is about J. So it is, as the title suggests, My Salinger Year. So I'll get the name of this. Uh, I think she's like, she's like a well-respected uh, journalist now and poet now. So I feel really bad for getting her name <laughs> wrong. Um, oh, my goodness. Uh, fill in the time. Get some elevator music <laughs> while I Google this name. <laughs> I thought I would have... 
I, I'm looking through my notes and I don't even have it here. God, this is embarrassing. While Sean looks for this, um, <laughs> I guess I can describe you Dirty Money Volume 1. <laughs> um, frantic, stress, heart racing. Yeah, it's much like trying to find this. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Joan- yeah. Joanna Rakoff is the uh, is the author of the book. So it's based on her memoirs. It's set in the early to mid nineteen nineties in New York. Mm-hmm. She just gets a job at a literary agency, uh, noted as for you being the Tarantino fan and the Margaret lover of Quali. Once Upon a Time you are, uh, mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that you are. Margaret Qualley does play Rakoff, yeah. and she gets a job at a literary agency that. Um, that represents J.D. Salinger uh-huh. and who at that time and who for the last 30 odd years had been very much a sort of misanthrope and like, you know, a recluse, just like completely shut off from mm-hmm. the rest of society at large. And her, one of her jobs is to not only, you know, like copyright, like all of the correspondence and things like that. She is also in charge of like J.D. Salinger's fan mail. Yeah. And so she reads a lot of the fan mail and, you know, a lot of, just has to write like the same response every single time of like, <laughs> oh, sorry, J.D. Salinger is no longer interested in fan yeah. mail. But she starts read, and she's actually never read, at the time, she'd never read J.D. Salinger, which, mm-hmm. which I relate to because I haven't either. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just don't, re- I'm just not a book person, <laughs> listeners, I'm sorry. I want to, I just don't have the patience or the attention span for it. I'm sorry. But so yeah, so she starts reading all of the fan of all of this fan mail, and and a few of them in particular um, become very, very um, they they really hit home with her, and like f- find out that there's something in there's something in there, and like mm-hmm. that's really inspired these people, and that she feels like that they kind of that they kind of deserve a response than just the regular bullshit sort of template that that's always sent out. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of... It's kind of hard to explain the plot of this movie because it doesn't really have in the, any plot. Like, it, <laughs> I, I'd ima- I have not read the memoirs, but I'm imagining the memoirs are very much just like, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of just what the film is. And there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. Like, it's pretty much very character-driven. And, you know, Margaret Qualley, like... Um, she can, she proves that she can carry a movie here. Yeah. Like, it, she's helped by a pretty good supporting cast who also her editor, Margaret, who's played by Sigourney Weaver, who <laughs> just is just... She's still got it. She's just yeah. still amazing. Like, uh, I think a lot of people will say, like, very much dismiss this as like, oh, it's just Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada, but actually <laughs> has somewhat of a soul because she does come across as, like, this very stern and authoritative sort of thing. But, like, you can tell she's definitely... She's been in her position yeah. before and, like, she was probably once her before as well. Yeah. And, like, th- as, as the film progresses, you do start to see, like, that sort of... I wouldn't say a facade, but that sort of persona sort of break down a little bit and you see her become a little bit more sensitive to it. And, mm-hmm. yeah, she's just really good. She's just fantastic as she always has been. Mm-hmm. And this film, not really much to say about it other than, yeah, it's just, it's very pleasant. It's a very mm-hmm. light, easy breezy sort of film. Um, Sunday afternoon watch. Sunday afternoon yeah. watch, definitely, at Palace Cinemas. Take your nan, <laughs> have, a nice bo- have a nice glass of Prosecco while you watch it too. <laughs> have a cuppa before going to the movie. <laughs> yeah, have, have brunch. You, ha- you have some nice brunch. You go see My Salinger Year. And I mean, I guess, uh, I guess, like, sort of literary fans would like this too. Like, as soon as like the the film started, I got really worried because there's nothing I hate more. Nothing turns me off about a movie more than a New York writer slash poet struggling to. I just immediately check out. Immediately, I immediately check out. But this film, thankfully, um, it does not really steer into just like you know 
pretentious twaddle uh, and, mm. you know, like becomes like a cry and a wank about art practically. <laughs> and al- also those kinds of people, are, I wouldn't say demonized, but are like not really presented in like in a really good light. So mm-hmm. like Douglas Booth, who's in this movie, plays um, Rakoff's uh, boyfriend at the time, who's just the definition of a hipster douchebag <laughs> like a, 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 and a 90 oh, no. and 90s hipster douchebag as well oh that's and he, he, pl- he plays the role really well though but and uh yeah but he's just very very unlikable character and yeah the film is just sort of like a yeah just like a basically a year in her life while working mm-hmm. for this literary agency that represented jd salinger and you know and J- it's interesting how jd salinger is represented in the film as well uh he's only ever really seen like his face is always obscured. You never see his face. Oh, like okay. he's only ever heard in like phone calls and only ever seen when he's seen on screen, like his head is always obscured by something mm-hmm. or he has his back turned. Yeah. Or things like that. You re- you reckon who would have done, who would have done a good JD Salinger in the movie? Oh God. I don't know. Well, the guy, the, I can't remember the actor that played him in the film. Uh, I don't think he's uh, particularly big. Well, or anything, no, but no. He, he does a good enough job, but like, Maybe it's just Bojack Horseman, watching Bojack Horseman, but Alan Arkin, I think, would do a good job. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if it was just some wild, like, Nicolas Cage, and then yeah. you just see his face turn at the end. Or what if they got his son, Matt Salinger, who is an actor, who oh. was Captain America in the 90s to Captain America movie. Oh, yeah. really? Yep. Oh, my God. I remember seeing, I remember <laughs> renting that movie from Blockbuster when I was a kid and just watching it and being like, what? <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, this is, as I've said, my Salinger year. Um, it comes out, I believe, on January 14th. And I think a lot of Palace locations are having advanced screenings on New Year's Day or like that New Year's weekend. So if you're interested, if, you, if you're a fan of J.D. Salinger's work, if you're a Catcher in the Rye fan, there's, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's a lot of sort of metatextual and sort of references to a lot of Salinger's work as well. Because like, I guess also with this film, I'm going on a little bit more about it. I'm finding I've got more to say about it is... Um, it does actually make an attempt to sort of be a movie mm-hmm. and not just be like, I was expecting it to be much more pedestrian, much more like sort of boringly shot, but there is actually a little bit of creativity in there, which mm-hmm. I, I found surprising. I guess it's sort of a trope, but like it does it well of like when she's reading the letters, it's the actual characters themselves, like yeah. speaking directly to camera and mm-hmm. like saying the letters, which is kind of interesting. And yeah. I, I think that was a good way to go about it. Yeah. It's interesting, yeah. So yeah, my Salinger year, um, out January fourteenth at Palace Cinema locations across Australia. Uh, definitely check it out. Sweet. Uh, but enough from me. Uh, what movies have you been watching recently? Before we wrap up, what are Before we at? We We're up. at. We've just passed um, an hour. What are we? What? Oh, um, I've been watching a lot of. I rewatched Euphoria and watched that new episode. Love that. That's really, really. I guess you could consider it a movie. It's like a special episode, just one hour long. Okay. See, everyone tells me Euphoria is yeah. amazing. Yeah. However, I've seen a little film from the same filmmaker, Sam Levinson, no- noted <laughs> noted product of nepotism, Sam Levinson. <laughs> called assassination yep. nation which is hot garbage i that was funny because i actually <laughs> i re-watched that recently was i loved it at first watch wasn't the biggest fan on second oh, watch God. but the f- hilarious part was i re-watched it with two friends and they hated it <laughs> they were they were just like aaron why are you making us watch this you're a piece of shit. It's like, it's <laughs> like this is. It, it's like while watching it, I'm like, is this what incels think feminism is? <laughs> it's, it. I don't. Know, it. 
on second watch, I was like, was the film this silly? Like, was it this silly? Like, I remember being in, like, actually, like, really, like, wow. But on second watch, I was like, this is so, like, silly. Like, I don't know what. But it takes to, itself so seriously, Oh, too. it definitely does. <laughs> it's, it, it kind of, it's balancing this comedic tone, and then it goes way too over-serious. And it's like, okay, what do you... But to convince you to watch Euphoria, my friend who hated the movie rewatched Euphoria with him. He says it's one of the best shows he's ever watched. He loved it. So I guess it's a big improvement over that movie. Okay, I got. I, I don't know. Maybe and you're ma- feeling. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll consider it. I'll watch the pilot at least. Let's say <laughs> yeah, that. I definitely recommend watching it. Very good. Very good. What else? What else? I might, I might check a t- take a quick take look at my whip, letterbox. Whip out, whip out the letterbox. I'll whip up the letterbox. Whip up the um, letterbox on the phone with the big Lebowski phone case. <laughs> oh, I did. I watched Bad Trip with Eric Andre. That was good. Oh, what's I th- that? I thought that was pretty it, <laughs> Imagine Jackass, but with Eric Andre, and it kind of has a story to it. <laughs> it's very, it kind of, it, the only way I can really explain it, imagine the Eric Andre show, but it's a road trip movie. Right. Okay. And yeah, it's it's so, funny. I really enjoyed it. I have actually never watched a second of the Eric Andre show, oh, but I imagine to. he's very much of like sort of like this like of the school of what they call anti-comedy, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. 100%. Like it's it <laughs> it's a very I re, I recently rewatched it because season 5 recently came out. And yeah, his comedy is insane. I don't even know how to describe it pretty much. It's just Every, everything will just make you say, what the fuck? <laughs> like, why? And it's, yeah, it's really, I really like it. I really gravitate to it. Okay. Um, <laughs> looking back, oh, I watched The Way Back. I really enjoyed The Way Back. Yeah, I saw that. Saw that I, I rented that when, I think whenever they had like that big rental of like, uh-huh. oh, new release stuff is like, you know, $3 rentals at the yeah. moment. I think I got it during that. I the way back is interesting for me because like I think Gavin O'Connor may be one of the best directors at directing sport mm. because any what else time did he, do? he did Miracle he did Warrior yeah. like you know, oh, okay like yeah really oh, okay. really yeah, good yeah. sports films yeah no I guess this year during lockdown I grew a big appreciation for basketball I kind of like I always kind of gravitated to it but never like really paid attention to it do you think uh, Uncut Gems had anything to do oh, with that? oh 100% 100% <laughs> Uncut Gems really was like okay basketball is like really cool <laughs> and then The Last Dance came out and I loved The Last still Dance still haven't watched that either yeah, I, it's honestly <laughs> I guess if you're a sports fan you'll love it love it but even for me, I was coming as a casual viewer. I only knew Michael Jordan as like, yeah, he's the greatest, mm. and like that's pretty much it. But Last Dance, it really brings a lot of history into it. It's the way it's edited and it's directed. It really brings that energy to it. It really brings that energy to it. And I guess that made me grow a bigger appreciation for basketball. And um, that's why, I, yeah, way back, really, the way the all the basketball scenes they're shot really well. Shot really well, yeah. My problem with the movie is that I guess it, I didn't buy the narrative that the movie was like, or the 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 marketing. I guess the movie was trying to sell of like, oh, it's Ben Affleck's comeback, and all this yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, I didn't get that. Like and he's like, always know, it's, been it's, there. He's never it, gone he's, away. He's had like five <laughs> or six comebacks at this point now. Like has I know he... he's I know he's had his trials and tribulations. Yeah. Uh, over over the time, but like I just didn't buy that, and also I just found his character was a bit too. 
I, w- I, I not broad, but I guess like in terms of his alcoholism, like it uh-huh. was almost excessive. In yeah. like you know, like the beer cans in the, the shower. One scene, like the one scene, that was a bit much. The one scene when um he has like a he has like a bunch of beer cans in his fridge, and then like by the end of the scene, there's nothing left. It's like okay, can someone <laughs> really <laughs> drink that much in like a couple hours? Like holy shit! I get it. He's uh, I know I know this is the sad sad flick basketball movie as yeah. a lot of people were calling it when it like sort of came out. I guess I, I also appreciate it a bit more because it must have been a really personal film for him because he tackled yeah. some of the stuff in there. So to kind of just like relive that and kind of just put it on screen, that must be pretty tough. Yeah. It will I, definitely be, I don't know. But yeah, I really appreciated the movie for that. And I was just annoyed as well because I, I rented it. Mm-hmm. And then, like, a month later, it was on, it was Netflix. on Netflix. I was surprised when I saw it on Netflix. I was like, holy shit, isn't this, like, a new release? And it's on there. But, yeah, I guess Netflix is just getting everything now because I'm yeah. locked down. But, yeah. All right. Um, and if you've got nothing else you'd like to talk about? Well, um, yeah, no. Nah. Um, all I have to say is Dirty Money Volume 1 streaming yep, now on YouTube. Definitely, yep, streaming on YouTube. And if they want to see you anywhere else, like on Twitter or anywhere else or what other, any other projects or stuff you've got going um, on online, I where guess, do they find you? Uh, okay, so on Twitter, I changed my at now. It's not my name anymore. It's Young Scorsese. Um, young Y-U-N-G and just Scorsese. And on Instagram, it's literally ju- um, all my whole name, all... Uh, low case Aaron Bahamondas yeah that's how you can find me perfect and how do we not talk about Scorsese yeah oh my god we didn't <laughs> talk about Scorsese at all I guess we can just quickly mention massive inspiration on Danny Money huge inspiration there's an Irishman reference in the short film I don't know if anybody uh, one person has picked it up because they're an equal eye of I don't think I caught that no Um, I won't say what yeah. it is so you, you, you can tell me off air yeah, I definitely will. But yeah, there is an Irishman reference in there. And if you catch it, you'll make me very happy. <laughs> Perfect. Th- Aaron, thanks for trekking all the way out from the Western Suburbs. No all the way here man. to the it Inner East to come here, sit on this pleasure. ridiculously comfortable couch. This actually and talk is some really movies. comfortable. I almost fell asleep right yeah. in the middle. My, my dad wanted me to bloody replace this couch with one of the ones at his place. No, and I, this I, I tried is perfect. Yeah, I know. It's so good. This is really perfect. Yeah. Anyway, that's great for the podcast listeners to hear. <laughs> <laughs> really comfortable couch would give it four and a half stars on Letterbox. <laughs> yes. Speaking of Letterbox, you just gave me a great segue to the rest of my plugs. You can follow me <laughs> in a bunch of places online, including Letterbox. Just go to letterbox.com forward slash Sean Coates. I think I'm at 300. I think I recently passed 300 followers. So thank you very much for that. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at SeanHub underscore and also on Instagram at SeanHub underscore. That is S-E-A-N. H-U-B underscore. And you can also find our podcast page, like social pages, though quite inactive. But if these episodes start coming out more, if I start in 2021, mm-hmm. I said on the one of the first podcasts we did this year that 2020 was going to be the year we became mm-hmm. a real podcast. Clearly that didn't happen. Hopefully it will be next year. Yeah. Because we'll be, we'll be going into, I believe, the fourth, fourth? I started this podcast in 2017, so it'll be nearly four years since I started. It'll be Damn. the fourth year I've started this since I started this podcast, and we still are not <laughs> putting out stuff regularly. That's just how it works. That's just what's happened. Well, I guess I can come back for volume two. Absolutely. So, yeah, we've got to keep that consistency, and I'll be back when I release the second half of the story. <laughs> no problem. 
And for the rest of our socials, you can find us on Twitter at... Oh, put my microphone in front of my mouth. That would be helpful. I'll <laughs> on Twitter at AB Movie Podcast. AB Movie Podcast on Instagram at Another Bloody Movie Pod and also on Facebook, just search for Another Bloody Movie Podcast. And wherever you get your podcasts, make sure you hit subscribe. We're everywhere. We're on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, basically wherever you get good podcasts and also bad ones, whatever you think this one is. <laughs> wherever you wherever you find podcasts, just search for Another Bloody Movie Podcast and hit subscribe. And also follow my other written stuff over at moviebabble.com. Um I might, I might do full written reviews for a couple of the films that I talked about there um, on, on today's episode, but uh, also the, st- the site is also doing a lot of really great stuff. Uh, there'll be Sundance coverage hopefully mm. coming soon, which I may or may not be a part of, have not got an approved, I've not been approved yet, so fingers crossed for that, but there will be Sundance coverage on Movie Babble this year, so look out for that. And then just also hopefully some bests of 2020 lists, which I still haven't even thought about yet. So I've collect I what I do a lot of people say that they make it all at the end I can't do that I collectively do it throughout the year take out things yeah. put in things just so I don't forget <laughs> I mean I I normally do that I just haven't done that this year yeah. surprising this year the list I throughout the middle of the year I was like oh my god this list is gonna be so shit nothing's coming out but now it's actually looking decent like there's actually a good some good picks there yeah mm. I, I think I'm gonna hold off until at least maybe February just so a lot mm. of the stuff that was backlogged and like you know yeah. had release dates pushed so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be so hasty with it and then because if I do it now I'm going to see something later on and then probably make some changes. Yeah. So I'm going to hold off it for now. But whenever that might be, and if I can be bothered writing a piece for Movie <laughs> Babble on that, you can see that at moviebabble.com. Thank you very much again for Aaron Bahamundes for coming on the show. He just nodded for the yeah. listeners at home. He <laughs> I realised nobody's... <laughs> <laughs> there's no camera here. I can't just nod and be like... I have to say it. There's just a microphone. But yes, I am Aaron Bahamundes. My short film is currently streaming on YouTube. I'd highly recommend to watch it. Um, if you love the Safdies, Scorsese, Tarantino, those are the big inspirations. But yeah, if you love any of them, I highly recommend watching my short film. And you haven't already watched it? Go watch it. Yeah, 100%. And thank you all for listening. Go watch Dirty Money. And we'll see you next time. All right, peace. Peace.